Our Father, we understand that the, one of the things that gets in our way of any kind of spiritual progress is the old self that continues to want its way, to want its place, to want its applause, and to think of living a life of self-renouncing love is, is a long way away for so many of us. We have come to know Jesus Christ in all of his beauty, and yet in terms of the the progress that we have made, it is often, it's so often self that, that slows us down and, and weighs upon our souls. And we make so little progress because of our self-absorption. And we pray that you'll forgive us. We are a people who were born to be self-orbiting and, and have continued to be so. And, and we pray that by your spirit, you will put that to death more and more. Lord, we, it doesn't take a great intellect to figure out that our world is heading in a bad direction. It is, um, it is a scary place to live. It doesn't seem to be getting better, but worse. Uh, we have issues in our own land that um, are scary, but add to that a, a world that seems to hate America more and more. And maybe we deserve that, Lord. Maybe we've grown so smug and, and arrogant that we deserve their hatred. But, Father, we, we believe that the only true course of, of solution is going to be found in, in a gospel that, is, that has Jesus Christ at the center of it. If the Palestinians are to ever love the Israelites and the Arabs are to ever love the Americans, and it's going to require a, a, a peace that can only be wrought when we understand something about the death of Jesus Christ for us. And so, Lord, we as a church ask that you would make us a part of the solution as opposed to the part of the problem. We, um, we've got a little time left, and we pray that you will use us to bring about some solution in our community and in our world. Lord, thank you for the way that you've provided for us. We are a richly blessed people, and out of that bounty, we give you but a portion our hope is, Lord, that you'll give us wisdom to maximize how we spend this money, that every dime of it might be stretched so that Jesus Christ can get maximum glory. We ask it for his sake. Amen. Thank you. Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27. Now, guys, um, I'm about to read you 38 verses. That is a very lengthy text, and I, I uh, want you to know I'm aware of that. And I try to, everything I can, to not do this to you very frequently. And, and as I hope you know, or have noticed, we try to keep the text fairly, fairly brief. But this is a story. If you like stories, this is a great one. And, and many of you already know this story, I bet. But if you weren't raised in Sunday school, you probably never heard this story. But it's a story of really about Jacob. Um, and we're in a study of the life of Jacob. And so that's what we're, I'm going to read this whole thing. Well, actually, I'm cutting it off a little before it quits. Uh, we're going to go through the first 38 verses. Being read to is not easy. It's bad pedagogy. But, but hang in there. Um, if you never heard the story, it's a great story. And we all love good stories. So just imagine you're in the library and you're being read to this wonderful story by a wonderful story reader. Let's begin at verse 1 of Genesis 27. 
When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before you the Lord, before the Lord, before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bringing a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And then she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, then Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it uh, all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. 
As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This is a familiar story. I bet you, uh, I bet you recall it now. It's a pretty famous one. You're taught it in Sunday school. Uh, and in this story, you're not going to find too many heroes. What you're going to find is a bunch of embarrassments. Everybody in this story is doing bad stuff. Um, what I should do is preach four different sermons on the, the bad stuff that all four of these people are, are doing. But that's really, that's really a bummer. So the, um, there's only one person, there's only one person who's doing good things in this story, and that's God. So that's my outline. My outline is simply this. I, my first point is four examples of bad stuff. And then my second point is one example of good stuff. So stay with me. We'll start with the, um, with the man of the house, daddy, Isaac, who is a patriarch. Now that, that word might be unfamiliar to you, but in Judaism, there are, there are three patriarchs that are considered really uh, foundational to the, to the faith. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac is one of those patriarchs. But the poor guy, he's, he's like a valley in between two mountains. There are two stories that are really associated with Isaac. There is a story in Genesis 22 when Abraham takes Isaac up to sacrifice him. Remember that story? Well, that story is really about Abraham. The other story that Isaac's known for is this one. And this story is really about Jacob. Uh, Isaac can't seem to win for losing. Uh, but he is... He is not as well known and as well thought of as the other two patriarchs, Abraham and Jacob. The, the time that has elapsed between the end of chapter 25, I, I think you remember what happened there. That's where Jacob tricked Esau into selling his birthright. The time between that and this story is unknown. What we are told is that Isaac's eyes were dim which implies old age, which perhaps suggests that there have been many years that have passed between the end of 25 and the beginning of this story in 27. Um, we are, it does imply that he thinks he's about to die, um, when in fact we're going to find out later that he lives another 43 years. That is, Isaac lives another 43 years, but he wants to tie up some loose ends before he dies. So he calls in his son, Esau. Now, guys, in this story, depending on your translation, my translation uses the term delicious food. 
Now, your translation might use the term savory meat, but depending on your translation, the term delicious food is mentioned six times. The term for venison or game is used seven times. The verb eating is found eight times in this story. Now, the the point is that the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you something. There is a hint that you're getting with all of that repetition in this story. That the story is trying to tell you something about the condition of Isaac. Isaac was a guy who lived in the flesh. Now, that might be somewhat of a new term, living in the flesh. What does that mean? Well, it's a, it's a lifestyle where, where all of my physical appetites are very important to me. It's a lifestyle where I, uh, I live sensually. I enjoy uh, the titillations of comfort and ease. Isaac is being, uh, is being described here by the narrator of this story as a man who is just... Uh, the, the primary thing in his life, his chief enjoyment, is eating. Now, that's important. <laughs> and it's important not because of his waistline, guys. It's important f- for this reason. Stay with me. Do you remember back in chapter 25? God comes to his wife, Rebecca, and says, uh, you got twins in there, and uh, the older is going to serve the younger. Now, that's a reversal of the laws of primogenitor. The older is going to serve. That's not the way it happens. It's usually the other way around. But God is going to reverse that, and he's going to make Esau the servant of his younger brother, Jacob. Now, here's the question before the house. You think Isaac knew that? That is the daddy. You think Isaac knew what God said to his wife? I can't believe that he didn't. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 hints that he did know it. And and the reason that that's important, guys, is because if Isaac knew what God said to his wife, do you know what you have here? You know what you have in this story? You have an example of a man who knows the will of God but is willfully trying to overturn it. Here is an example of a piece of open defiance at God's will. I know what God wants, but I'm going to work against it. That's what's going on here, guys. People in the flesh usually do that. They don't give a hoot about what is God's will. What they want to know is, what's going to make me more comfortable? What's going to make me feel good? In fact, if you'll notice in verse 7, he says, Esau, you come on in here so I can bless you. But not simply bless you. I want to bless you before the Lord. When he knows, the Lord has said, this is supposed to go to his twin brother, his younger brother, Jacob. This is the case of a man who's living in the outside any kind of pursuit of holiness. And he has a preference for his older son, Esau, And in a plain, blatant disregard for God's word to his wife, he's going to bless Esau. (laughs) I don't care what God said. I don't care what God's will is. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you know, it's interesting that in the midst of this pursuit, 
Every one of his senses fail him. Here's a man that lived for sensory titillation, and every one of his senses fail him. For instance, his eyes, they're gone. His hearing. He says, now who's that I hear? Is that which? (laughs) He gets tricked by his own hearing. He gets tricked by his sense of touch. He gets tricked by his own sense of taste. He loves venison. You know what he's eating? He's eating goat. He thought he was eating deer, and he's eating goat. Everything's failing on him. Not only that, so is his mind. He thinks he's going to die, and he lives another 43 years. Guys, sight, sound, smell, touch, it all fails him. Everything that he lives for, everything that he depends on, is now failing him. And he ends up being deceived. You know, guys, um, to us, to a people who, um, who place a very high premium on ease and comfort and pleasure and leisure and safety, we're set up. We're asking for deception. When you live a life that de- leans on and depends on your own uh, sensualities, You are set up just like Isaac. You are set up for deception. Don't be surprised that you you make bad investment decisions. Don't be surprised when you get taken or or you choose the wrong job. When you live in the flesh, guys, you are a sitting duck for deception. Just, Just like Isaac. A man to whom... Pleasure is very important. Finds that every one of his senses fail him in the pursuit of that pleasure. And he ends up deceived. Then we see his wife, who is the second example of bad stuff. (laughs) Boy. Uh, She has a marriage that not many of us would want. In terms of the marriage, folks, um, it leaves a lot to be desired. Isaac is a weak man. And Rebecca is a strong woman. That's not a good combination. I'm not suggesting that it's bad for women to be strong, but I am suggesting that it's bad for men to be weak. And that's what you got here. A weak man married to a strong woman, and she cooks up a scheme to deceive her own husband. (laughs) Um, Notice in verses 5 and 6, she's talking to to Jacob, and she says... um, um, she says to her son, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Uh, notice she says in verse five, when she spoke to his son Esau and when she comes to, uh, um, her son in verse six, she says, Rebecca said to her son, she speaks of Jacob as her son. She speaks of Esau as his brother. Now, what is that? Uh, this is my son that I really like. And then his brother. What kind of mother is that? That's her son. She's, uh, this is my son and her brother. What is she doing? Creating some kind of internecine war. Folks, from verse 8 and onward, Rebecca comes on center stage and she unleashes this plot, this scheme. 
scheme, this plan of hers, and it's all her idea. And she's thought of everything. She remembers what God said to her in chapter 25. But she's come to the conclusion, apparently, that he needs her help. Because he could never do it without her. So her help takes the form of a giant scheme of deception of her own husband. She's a scary woman. You know, the, uh, Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 27 talks about how God watches over the blind and the deaf. But that hadn't been written yet. But even if it had, it probably wouldn't have made any difference to Rebecca. Because she has not yet made the connection between her religion and her morality. She has no idea the mischief that she's about to cause in her family. In verse 44, I didn't read that, but in verse 44, she says to Jacob, Why don't you run over to my brother's place for a few days, for a little while, until it all simmers down here? That few days would last 20 years. She would never see Jacob again. She would die before Jacob ever returns. She um, takes her little scheme and as a result of that scheme destroys an entire family. All because of the actions of a strong woman who thinks God needs her help to accomplish his will. This is a family that is fraught with ambition, with deceit and lying and manipulation and self-absorption and carnality. And everyone loses. Which is always the case when people live in the flesh, folks. You know, in, in some ways, Isaac and Rebecca remind me of the church. Because the church is comprised of some people who are like Isaac who know what God's will is but oppose it and don't want to see it happen. You know, I think of an issue like um, homosexuality. You know, guys, does it, it shouldn't surprise us that the non-Christian world is trying to promote homosexual agenda. That shouldn't surprise us. It doesn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise us when the non-Christian world wants to act like a non-Christian. That, that, that shouldn't surprise us. What surprises me is that the church is promoting that agenda. When the will of God over that issue is pretty fairly easily defined from this book. And yet, it's the church that's trying to take what they know that he has said and overturn it. And then, then you've got other people in the church like Rebecca. Rebecca, who knows God's will too, but she thinks that God needs her help to, to get that will done. Now tell me, do you think that the church of Jesus Christ has permission to engage in some kind of slick Madison Avenue uh, marketing scheme in the name of evangelism? Do you think we do? Or do you think God would prefer, rather, a life that's lived in humble reliance upon him and in simple obedience? What do you think? Then we come to Esau, poor slob. Um, before you feel too sorry for this simpleton, let me tell you a couple of things about him. First of all, we're told in verse 41 that once he figures out what's happened, he says, I'm going to kill my brother. He's done this and I'm going to kill him. Makes no bones about it. I'm going to kill him. 
As soon as daddy goes back to his tent, I'm going to kill him. Not only that, uh, we're told in chapter 26 that he had gone out and, bought, and married some Hittite women. He, was, he had no permission to marry Hittite women. In fact, he was prohibited from marrying those women, but he married them anyway. And then we're told in Hebrews chapter 12 that Esau was a guy who never really desired spiritual things until it was all too late. You know, when he was cramming for finals, then he was interested in some spiritual things, but not before. Gang, all I'm saying is Esau's no choir boy. This is no acolyte who has been scammed by his brother. He's a man who disobeys whenever he can and considers murder when it's necessary. All of which brings us to the fourth example of of bad stuff in this story, which is Jacob's, our hero. He's the fourth example of doing bad stuff. And, And folks, he is excellent at doing bad stuff. I mean, he's got doing bad stuff down to a fine art. Watch. Look at verse 12. His mother is describing or has just described this scheme that she wants to pull off on her own husband, his daddy. And um, Jacob's response in verse 12 is somewhat of concern. He's, uh, He's listened to this plot that his mother has, and he's greatly offended that his mother would suggest such an egregious offense before his beloved daddy. Ha! <laughs> no such notion. What you're told in verse 12 is, he says to his mother, but wait a minute, mother, what if I get caught? My only concern is that I get caught. I don't give a hoot about doing it all. Yeah, count me in. But I just don't want to get caught. Oh, you find a way for me to maintain my image before people and others and count me in. I just, I just don't want to get caught. He has no moral offense at this plan because he has no moral fiber. And then look at verse 19. Verse 19, we find <laughs> Jacob is an accomplished liar. He, he lies four times In one sentence, verse 19, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. Mm -mm, That's law number, that's lie number one. I am Esau, your firstborn. Mm -mm, That's lie number two. Uh, I have done as you told me. Mm -mm, That's lie number three. Uh, Now uh, sit up and eat um, of my game. Mm -mm, That's lie number four. He doesn't have game, he's got goat. Lied four times in one sentence. And in addition to all that, he says in verse 20, when his father says to him, well, how did you get it so fast, son? He says, well, the Lord, the Lord your God has blessed me. Not only is he a schemer and a deceiver and an accomplished liar, he's a blasphemer. He blames God for his cooked up scheme. And then, finally, what a pathetic sight this whole story is. This is a man who dresses up like somebody he's not in a desperate attempt to get his daddy's approval. He will do anything that he has to do 
and be whoever he is expected to be, anything that I have to appear to be so that he can get approval. Boy, is that a contemporary message. Pretending to be something that I'm not so that I can get people to approve of me? Why would I do that? Because I'm desperate for approval, stupid. What do you mean? What do you know? Why would I do that? Well, because that's the way I get my identity. That's the way I get my sense of worth. That's the way I establish my value is I have people approve of me. So if they want me to be that, I'll be that. If they want me to be that, I'll be that. If they want me to dress up like this, I'll dress up like this. If they want me to dress up, I'll dress up like this. I'll do anything that I have to do as long as I can get somebody to approve of me. Stupid preachers. We, we, we don't do that, do we? It's a pathetic sight. Wherever it happens. Which brings me to the one example of the good stuff. Which is my second point. This story in, in chapter 27, this story is... Is a story about how God, and, and I'm quoting at this point, I'm quoting from Gerhard von Rod, uh, who says, This is a story how God, in pursuit of his plan, which had to remain concealed from all relevant persons, broke into a family, and how he seems to pass beyond its ruins. I love that. Guys, this is a story about a father's willful disobedience, a mother's ugly manipulation, a son's inexplicable carnality, and another son's blasphemy and deceit. And none of it, none of it stops God or thwarts Him in his pursuit of his redemptive purposes. This story is a story about how grace is greater than all our sin. Their sin doesn't deter God and neither will mine. Neither will yours. Gang, I'm sorry that you blew it as badly as you blew it. I'm sorry you did that. I'm sorry that you went out and sought meaning in a relationship that you weren't supposed to be in. I'm sorry that you've Sinned against your family. I'm sorry that we've blown it as badly as we've blown it. But the message of this story is that God is not overcome by my black heart. 
he even makes a provision for dealing with my black heart. He makes a provision for my sin. And the provision is blood. The blood of Christ. Let me show you one other thing in the story that's an example, I think, of what good God is up to. But this is something that you may have missed in the story. But let me, let me try to show it to you. Um, the deception, the scheme, the plot was a success. I mean, they pulled it off and the goat hair on the back of the hands and the back of the neck, it worked. And uh, Jacob gets the blessing. He's already out of the house, out of the tent over at his mother's celebrating that it worked. But no sooner had Jacob left with the blessing than in the door comes Esau with the real venison and he's looking for the blessing. And it doesn't take either one of them much time to figure out that they've been scammed. And, and Esau is irate. Irate enough to murder. But I want you to notice Isaac's response to all this. It's, it's mentioned in verse 33. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who brought me, etc. Now, what's this all about? Why is he trembling? In fact, um, the Hebrew is that he trembles with a very great trembling. He, this is a, he trembled very violently. Now, what's all that about? Why doesn't he simply say, I was tricked. I was tricked. No, no, I was lied to. Uh, Jacob lied to me. He scammed me. It doesn't count. I take it back. I'm going to give it to Esau. This doesn't work. No, no, no. You can't base it on falsehood. No, this doesn't work. I, I, I take it all back. Why doesn't he say that? In fact, he goes on before the end of verse 33 to reconfirm. Oh, no, 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 no. Jacob's going to have the blessing. What's going on, guys? Well, let me tell you. What's going on, guys, is that there's something going on in Isaac that perhaps hadn't gone on in him ever before. There seems to be the dawn of some kind of spiritual revival in his dark soul. He realizes perhaps for the first time, that he has been fighting God. And once he realizes that, he trembles with a very great trembling. And he yields to God, not understanding it all, but finally he yields. He accepts defeat, and he trembles with a very great trembling. I want to read you a couple of sentences from Donald Gray Barnhouse. He says, Before a great work of grace... There must be a great earthquake. Isaac had put his personal love of Esau ahead of the will of God. Down came his idol. And the edifice of willful love collapsed before the shaking power that took hold of him. The arrogant pride which had slyly planned to thwart God toppled to the ground, broken beyond repair. When Isaac trembled exceedingly, all his idols were shattered.
know what's going on, guys? Isaac had been caught in his sin. And he realizes it. And lets go of it. And yields himself to God. Have you ever trembled a great trembling? Has your sin ever caught up with you? To the place where you realize, I am living in outright rebellion before God. And you lay it down. And you recognize that the only hope that you've got is on this. It depends on this God having mercy on you. Have you ever trembled a great trembling? Because, my friend, according to Donald Gray Barnhouse, before a great work of grace, there is always a great earthquake. Folks, this is a story of, of deception. But it's a story that has a happy ending. And it has a happy ending because of something that God did. God uses even sin to accomplish His own redemptive purposes. And nowhere is that more forcibly seen than at the cross of Jesus Christ. Even my sin will not stop Him from accomplishing my redemption. This is a story about how much great, greater grace is than all my sin. Your story, no matter how dark it is, it too can have a happy ending. And it can be made happy because of something that God does. In Christ. Is that Christ yours? May we pray. Our Father, I, I do see in this text such a display of your kindness towards sinners. A display that, that even someone as wicked as Jacob could not stop you from accomplishing your great redemptive plan. All the plots and the schemes of man will not prevent you from building the church of Jesus Christ and drawing people to it by faith. So, Father, might Gracie Van be a part of that? We are people who have been bought with a price. We understand the gravity of our own dark heart. But we also see the beauties and the excellencies of grace that is greater than all our sin. So now we want to be a part of the great enterprise of building the kingdom of God. Would you allow us to do that? Father, if you brought people here today who have not yet met this Savior, I pray that you will not allow them to leave our campus until they come face to face 
with the God who has overtaken them in their sin, they tremble a very great trembling and then yield to the God who conquers sin in Christ. Do that, O God, for Jesus' sake.